Welcome to Beyond Politics. I'm Paul Hodes. I'm here with Matt Robeson. We're broadcast on WKXL and podcast wherever you find your podcasts. I'm uh, really pleased today to welcome John Bisignano to the program. He's the executive director at the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. It's a strategic hub for a comprehensive redistricting strategy for America. You know, we've been talking a lot on this show about democracy, how we do elections and government and politics. One of the pieces of that picture, and and it's the one that gets the most attention, is the way we draw districts for our representatives, especially our representatives in Congress. Across the country, states are about to launch on that process right now through 2021. Here in New Hampshire, of course, it's going to be controlled by Republicans. The problem is the party in power in a state often uses the process to turn things on its head. Instead of the voters choosing their representatives, the representatives choose their voters. Lo and behold, if the students write the test, they ace it almost every time. And if the politicians write the rules, they end up safe in office and the people don't get a really fair choice about their votes. So, uh, John, here we are. We're about to start this this process. Is it a decennial process that happens um, every 10 years? Is that the right word? Or have I completely mangled that? Uh, But we're about to launch. And um, it's an almost universal law of politics that voters don't care about process. But tell us why. Why should we care about redistricting? And and what can you tell our listeners to illustrate uh, why it matters in a way that that helps people see that they should care? Yeah, Paul, thank you. Uh, First of all, thank you so much for for having me and our org on the the podcast today. And thank you, Matt, for getting it set up. We... um, I'm so glad to hear you say that it gets so much attention because I, I do feel like we uh, have tried to build since uh, A.G. Holder and President Obama formed this org uh, way back in 2016. We've really tried to make sure that the public was much more aware of this process. So it's heartwarming uh, to hear that you think people are focused on it, which I, I too think they're focused on it. And I do think that's one of the major Uh, differences between this cycle and the immediate last redistricting cycle, which was in 2010 uh, and 2011. And so we've done, uh, you know, the AG consistently says he wants to make redistricting sexy again. And I think we've, uh, we're starting to see that we're accomplishing that goal. So many folks are talking to us about it. It's really a much broader movement than I ever could have expected. So I very much appreciate uh, and I'm excited about it getting started. And uh, one note uh, on what you said, Paul, that it's coming up. It, I, I would argue it's happening. We're, we're in it. Uh, many states are already engaged in the process that uh, lays before them. There's a whole number of different types of processes. Everything ends up being very state by state. And it's a really interesting, intricate part of American politics to try and dig through, understand the different state rules and how to engage in those rules properly. And that's been a really fun part for me of uh, joining this org. And also it's been really amazing to watch this team grow and get excited about it. Um, I would, to most directly answer your question, I would say that 
you know, redistricting matters because gerrymandered districts affect every issue that Democrats and progressives care about. I mean, if you even look at things like sensible gun reform, where a vast majority of Americans support it. However, thanks to gerrymandered districts, it's really impossible for them to make movement uh, at the federal level in Congress. And so uh, I know this is something you're very familiar with, uh, but we are, we are eager to get through this process and make sure that Republicans don't have the opportunity to do what they did uh, back in 2010 in so many of these states. John, how far off the rails are we at this point? How, how skewed has political gerrymandering become and, and, and how messed up have our congressional districts become as a result? Can, can you give any examples or, or any illustrations to help people understand why it's such a problem? Sure. Let me address it in two parts. First, uh, why, what do we have to look forward to? Uh, because I think our organization has been working on a full comprehensive plan over the past four years. And that's, you know, I, I look back over those four years and very specific moments and, you know, lawsuits filed by affiliate organizations and also uh, direct action uh, completed on the political side that have led to major shifts in the political process. So you look at places where there are now democratic governors that will be able to veto bad maps in places like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. But uh, just as importantly, uh, I look at a lot of places, and this is directly to your second point, Matt, that we have uh, commissions that are now in process. So in Michigan, there's a commission that we supported uh, being put into process. And frankly, from our perspective, this is an a situation where you have uh, independent individuals that are able to come together and draw these districts to really suck the wind out of a lot of what Paul alluded to in his opener around where politicians uh, have the pen and are able to draw themselves into these districts. So, I mean, there's a whole host of retrospective districts I could point to that are terribly gerrymandered. You look at many districts in Ohio, Jim Jordan specifically is uh, pretty gerrymandered. You can even look in New Hampshire, where there's a you know executive council seat that's referred to as the dragon that touches three different states, and that's uh, I'm not sure there's I'm not sure there's another district in the country that I can think of that borders uh, three different states, at least not in a, a state that is um, doesn't just have one district. So let's talk about um, uh, one of the elephants in the room. And I say one because it's a circus. Um, obviously, 2020 did not go the way Democrats or the uh, National Democratic Republican Committee uh, thought it was going to go. I mean, everybody had something to whine about. There was a lot of work done to make sure that states didn't end up with unified Republican control so that we wouldn't have the same round of political gerrymandering we had in 2010. It just didn't work out. Democrats didn't flip a single state house chamber. They remained completely blocked from the map making process in some very key states like Texas, North Carolina, Florida, combined 82 congressional seats by 2022. Um, so the GOP retained control of the state legislatures. Uh, now we've got a a, a razor thin six seat margin in the House. Republicans may even be able to flip the House just based on gerrymandering in the states I just talked about. So, so what, what is your mission now as the states begin redistricting 
and how big a challenge is it going to be to achieve uh, what we'll call a fair outcome? And, and, and just to put a point on this, here in New Hampshire, there was legislation advanced when Democrats had control uh, for an independent redistricting commission. And let me just hasten to point out to leaders, to our, to our listeners, sorry, independent redistricting commission to try to get the politics out of uh, the redistricting. It was vetoed. It was it was it never made the, to the light of day. And of course, Republicans have killed any attempt to go for independent redistricting uh, now. I just I, you know, yes, they're in control. And yes, that's the way democracy works, but it's lousy. So what are you going to do? Yeah, thank you for asking. And I think uh, realistically, we need to analyze this. I, I point back to my prior answer a little bit. We need to analyze this on a four-year cycle and look back at individual places where we made massive changes that Republicans were able to gerrymander terribly uh, in the last cycle. And when I look at the 2020 cycle, uh, I'm not uh, disillusioned. I, I did believe that we were gonna. We had a good shot at flipping some of the chambers that you referenced. However, I also experiencing the full breadth of the four years realized that we had fought back in a number of different ways, uh, sometimes via lawsuits, sometimes via advocacy, sometimes uh, with electoral gains. But all of those things were the path forward for us and remain the path forward. Meaning that in some of the states you referenced, there's some sound precedent, there's different ways in which we're gonna be able to engage in those states. And frankly, half the battle is being out there as public as possible. So thank you again for having us on because generally speaking, we wanna lift this issue up and make sure that these maps aren't getting drawn in back rooms like they were as you read books about what happened uh, back in 2010. But we wanna focus on making sure that the public and citizens are engaged, have the tools they need, understand how they can volunteer, remain active and try and focus and, and bring the entire process uh, into the light of day. But I, I do feel much better than, uh, than maybe you described or let, let on in that we've had plans in these states for the past four years. We are ready to execute those plans. As noted on that Tuesday uh, in 2020, election day, uh, we, we had some losses. We didn't really go backwards. I mean, I, I think a lot of folks in the progressive community I've, I've been talking to over the past three months and you know there, there's this general like agita about did we backtrack is this something catastrophic and to us it's like we've had this plan we're ready to go we didn't backtrack at all uh, almost you know like basically we're dealing with a very similar landscape than what we've been planning for and now we just have to execute those plans so, so Matt oh, let me, oh, go ahead, Paul. Just, yeah, let me go just ahead. follow up for for a second so sure so how do you what what what's what do you do do you try to educate Republicans to say, hey, folks, yeah, you won. Yeah, you're in control. Yes, you your guys control the state legislatures. But but we need you, Republican voters, to rise up and just help us save democracy. Come on. We know you want to. You're all good people, well-meaning people. Plain power politics, you know, aren't the way it ought to work. We want you folks. We're going to educate you about why 
being fair is is the right thing to do. Is that what is that what's going to go on here? I mean, I do think educating voters is a a major part of it should be a part of anybody's operation. Uh, but yeah, of course, especially in that when you look at polls on gerrymandering, it's pretty universal what you get back. Like you're, you, you almost always get something like 70, 75% of folks say that they don't support gerrymandering. They don't like it when voters or when politicians draw their lines. Um, and so I, I do think there's a more universal base and sense of support than, than maybe one would let on in looking through a purely partisan lens. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, sorry, were you gonna add something? No, I was gonna I was gonna back you up on that. I was gonna agree. Oh yeah, with, then go ahead. I was gonna agree with you agreeing with Paul. All right, I'll go ahead. I'll agree with you. This is this is by the way for our listeners how Democrats debate one another. It's a um, it's no no no. I agree with you. I, I was just gonna make John. I was gonna make the point, and I, I think that this is something that you've got in your in your holster. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and deploy it. Um, you know, kind of side by side with you here. I mean, there is a legislative history here when independent redistricting has been on the ballot as uh, a state measure. Um, It's performed really, really well. And we saw this in 2018 in four particular states that are not super blue. They're actually purple or red. So in Colorado, the top of the ticket for governor was Jared Polis, and he won his race for governor with 52.3% of the vote. The redistricting amendment in that state won with 71%. In Missouri, hardly a Democratic state, Claire McCaskill lost her bid for re-election to the U.S. Senate with 45% of the vote, and the redistricting initiative passed with 62%. Same story in Utah. So, you know, you're talking about, I think, a divergence uh, that Paul was getting at here, where maybe the the, the the top of the Republican Party, the elected leadership of the Republican Party, doesn't necessarily have the same view here as the grassroots. Yeah, I think that's holistically fair. And uh, we have, I'd be remiss not to plug our uh, campaign called On the Line, which you can go to onthelineorg But it's, uh, you know, that, that's our grassroots advocacy campaign where we are able to plug folks into this process in their state. Uh, and help them engage and try and prevent some of that stuff that I was referring to earlier, where folks were just drawing lines in the back rooms and passing them real quick. Uh, so we're here to prevent that. So let me turn around now, having um, given a full-throated endorsement of your last argument <laughs> and throw a challenging argument at you, because it's one that I hear a lot from my Republican friends. Um, I'm, I was literally engaged in a text string debate about this today. I'm hoping that this particular friend is listening to this program because I'm sure I'm going to get an earful afterwards. Okay, here is what the Republicans in my life say. Efforts like the NRDC, your, your, your organization, and Democratic, uh, that's uh, big D party, Democratic party efforts on redistricting and HR1, the For the People Act, pro-democracy reforms, what our party thinks of as pro-democracy reforms, are, as Paul was just referring to, just another version of power politics. It's just taking a set of political rules that advantage one party and shifting it to a set of political rules that advantage another party. So my question for you is, first of all, how do you answer that charge from Republicans that 
really all you're trying to do is stack the deck in favor of Democrats. And if that's not enough of an earful for you, what do you do with, we know that Republicans are gonna have sole power to draw the lines for 181 seats out of the 435 in the house because they have unified control in the states that those seats represent. But there are 49 seats where Democrats have unified control. Do you, as, as a way to even the scales, do you recommend that nonetheless, Democrats in those places lay down their political arms and institute independent redistricting commissions? So let me answer your question a few ways. One, uh, we are not here to help Democrats gerrymander, full stop. That's not that, that's not been the view of uh, Chairman Holder uh, nor my own. I think it's it's been a clear messaging point for us from the beginning. Now, as folks, I've heard I I share your uh, hearing this from folks, and like as, as I've received it, I do think that there are a lot of monumental differences in the two parties. Right? We're, we're if you look back at what happened in 2010. 2010 was a, a real shift moment for this country's politics, not just around the technological ability to gerrymander, which it was, right? There's a, there was a new technology which allowed facilitated Republicans in some states to really gerrymander in a much more scrupulous way. Is that mapping but, software? The mapping software, to, mm -hmm. to be clear, and, and data, you know, right, broader right, right. data sets. And so... Um, that, that, is, that was true, but there was also just a general shift in the way that people were voting at that time. So as the whole country began to shift in 2010, which I'm sure we all remember those elections, um, some of us were involved in them, both of you were involved in them, I guess. Uh, but we, you know, it was, a, it was a landmark for a lot of reasons and Republicans took advantage of that in, in too many ways. So when I start to think about the charge that we're gonna, that Democrats are going to gerrymander or something. It's just such a holistic, different thing than what they're talking about. Like when you look at the map, uh, when you look at the Brennan Center's analysis of gerrymandering, uh, as it was noted post 2010, Republicans took somewhere around, I forget that I've looked at too many analyses, but I think it's like 15 to 20 seats, somewhere in that range. I've, a few different analysis of plus or minus one. And like Democrats, you, you could make an argument I suppose that there are some, maybe three, maybe two, maybe one seat. Uh, so I'm not here to like say that Democrats are totally perfect, but it's like a completely different thing. What they did to the U.S. House of Representatives in 2010 and what we're trying to prevent. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, like we could get really nitty gritty on the details. One, the most important charge I would have for anyone that's interested in this and, and wants to dig deeper is like get into your state's process. That's once I think it's real easy to sit at the national level and look at maybe you just look at things like where the census has shifted population to or any of these other big picture metrics. Once you really get into the nitty gritty on the state's process, how each individual state is going to draw maps, current existing legislation in states, different groups that are claiming they're going to file lawsuits, it gets much more complicated. So I would urge, uh, you know, I, I, maybe I wouldn't urge everyone to do it nationally because I feel like I'm all, I'm bogged down on that and I spend all day on it. But I do urge you to do it on your state level and try and understand because it is, it's nuanced, it's, it's, it's somewhat, can be somewhat complicated. Uh, but also it's really interesting. 
is is there any um, uh, easy way, any any way that you can help our listeners uh, find some tools, uh, some information uh, to help them? If if folks are inspired by our show here and by what you're we're talking about in terms of its importance to uh, uh, restoring democracy in America, our challenged foundations after four years of the great orange Cheeto. Um, and, and we're all trying to find a better way to do democracy, fending off challenges from, from proud boys and boogaloos and, 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 and dealing with the, the, um, the challenges posed by the Republican control of legislatures. But if people are inspired to, to get involved, where can they go to find out what to do, how to do it? Yeah, do they contact you? Do they contact your organization? Are there websites? Yeah. Are there, how, how do we do it? And we've only got a minute left, so it's got to be a quick answer. It could be quick, allontheline.org. So please, please do come visit us at allontheline.org. And there's a lot of in-state individualized resources, but also opportunities. So I think I'll, I'll be as quick as possible. You know, there's been some pretty good reporting on the fact that both parties are feeling a lot more uncertain in drawing districts this time around because of the Trump effects. Democrats did really well with suburban voters, 2018 and 2020, but it's not clear at all if the shifts are permanent or just a reaction to Donald J. Trump. Every time I say, I gotta stop, because every time I say that name, I, I hesitate to say it. I feel like it's kind of like Harry Potter. And I ought to simply say, he who shall not be named or, or actually call him Voldemort, or, but, but I digress. So did, did, did Trump's surprising strength with Latino voters in 2020 mark a long-term trend or was it a blip? The question is, it, is partisan control of the redistricting process all it used to be. Republicans used to worry about nominating people like David Souter, my former boss at the attorney general's office in New Hampshire. He's the guy who hired me. Um, and so, you know, they, they used to worry about nominating people like that to the Supreme Court who were with them at the start, but moved away over time. Could the same thing happen uh, with congressional districts? And do we really think that the 181 seats, the Republicans control give them as much of an edge as it appears, or is that just mythological? Uh, there's a lot to unpack. I think uh, one, for, for one, I, I'm not gonna, I still think there's a lot of data to be analyzed from the 2020 election, get a decent understanding of what happened electorally and different demographic groups that are moving all over the place. That's, it's totally fair uh, question, but it's a question I'm not sure any human at this point has the answer to. Um, we will obviously always be trying to understand the future and current landscape uh, of the country, and that will shape a lot of the, the thinking that we do. But I do want to say, I, I will I will divert some of the thinking here to uh, a focus on HR one 
and S1, the, the bill that recently passed the House, the For the People Act, and the bill that is hopefully uh, soon to be taken up by the Senate, because there's a lot of really good and important language in there on redistricting. And we've, we've worked uh, really closely in support of that uh, measure. We support it greatly, and, and the AG has been really instrumental in helping to get it passed. Now, uh, some of the work in there would help uh, try to navigate this problem you're talking about at a more national level. I think one of the, as I've noted previously, this ton of state-by-state -state nuance here, but trying to lift it up and set some guardrails at the national level would be really instrumental in this process. And so that's a, a bill that we support to try and implement independent commissions or however it ends up manifesting to just try and make sure that there are some guardrails on this redistricting process that are more tangible and uh, fair than they would be otherwise. So John, I made reference earlier to some of my Republican friends who are always in my ear about HR1 and pro-democracy reform measures. I'd like to try out the argument that I use on them on you and okay. see how you react. Here is my, here's my thesis, my, my position. I, and I'm sticking to it, although maybe you'll talk me out of it. I believe that reducing barriers to voting getting rid of political gerrymandering is actually sneakily good, not just for Democrats, but for Republicans. What I've observed is that Republicans, by drawing themselves protected enclaves of fundraising, protected enclaves of house district, uh, house districts, protected enclaves of all kinds of procedural rules around voting that give them a thumb on the scale have given themselves an inflated, safe ecosystem to operate within. And what that means is that if you're a Republican running for office, you're a lot more nervous about your primary than you are about the general election. You're much more worried about being called insufficiently loyal to Trump or a rhino, a Republican in name only. And you're a lot less worried about, well, what is the middle? What is the political middle of my district think? What do most voters in my district actually want? And so over time, you've seen Republicans in the House get more and more conservative, drift further and further away from the center where most of the American people are. So the end of my long theory is, it would be painful for Republicans. There would be displacement. They would have some short-term losses. I don't doubt that. If we had fairly drawn districts and reduced barriers to voting. But in the long run, I actually think they would emerge as a much healthier party and a much better voice in the American process that was able to more accurately reflect conservative values. That's my theory. Am I wrong? And, and hang on one second. Because oh, wait, you're going to. I just gonna, gave him that whole earful and you're going to add to it. Before, Go for it. Before John 
chimes in with a smart answer. I want to say that you have just proposed the castor oil theory of politics. Yeah, take your medicine, my yeah, friends. Right. Okay, if you just swallow the castor oil, it, it doesn't taste very good You're going dating down. Yourself, man. It doesn't taste very good going down, but it helps you. And, and, and sooner or later, you'll learn to like the castor oil. So I'm going to keep on feeding it to you. Matt Robeson, I, I I I respect you enormously. I think it's, you're a, a really you chose the wrong medicine. You chose I, the wrong I, medicine. I, it's, I, it's more like Ipecac. Okay. It's like it's like I think we need we need an emetic here. We need you to to vomit out the the Trump. You're, you're a really you're a really smart guy. You think that any Republican is gonna buy the argument that oh it'll be better for you in the end. Yeah. Have you seriously been saying that to your Republican uh, friends? You know who I say that to all the time? Sorry, John, you're caught in the crossfire here. This is, <laughs> you know what? When I used to work for Paul, I never used to get to say this kind of thing to him. You know where I have this argument, where I have this conversation all the time with my kids. This is going to be good for you in the long run. You have to trust me on this. And yes, am I being a little paternalistic to my Republican friends? Yes, I'm being paternalistic. That's the point. I am trying to look forward into the future to what would actually be good for Republicans. And then I think it would be good for Democrats because you'd have a healthy conservative voice as a counterweight and you'd have a healthy exchange of ideas in this country. God bless America. John? I, re I rest my case. John? Start this <laughs> out well, for us. Yeah. I, uh, it's a, I, I will, I will tell you where, what I believe, and that is that everyone should be able to vote that can vote in this country, right? It's like, I, I these, I agree that the laws that they're passing in so many of these states to try and inhibit voting and the gerrymandering that's happening in these districts is leading to extremism that is counterproductive. And I suppose my question would be, I, it depends on what, what kind of Republican you fancy yourself, uh, but realistically, I, I'm inclined to agree that a vibrant democracy is helpful. And the path to a vibrant democracy and a representative democracy is through a lot of these reforms that we're referencing and just through a fair map drawing process, fair you know, voting rights uh, positions. But uh, I, I really hone in on the word representation because that, that's what to me matters. Like you, you should be representing the people of your district or the, your surrounding area. And when you do uh, begin to find yourself in a position like Matt indicated, where you're only representing some small subset because you know that you're, you're gerrymandered to a place where you can never lose a general election or something, it gets really problematic. And that's, I think, a lot of what we're seeing in the, the U.S. House right now? I, I think, you know, let me consider Matt Robeson's elegant article, argument in light of the conduct of the, my, my, my former fellows in the distinguished House of Representatives in the United States in Washington, D.C., in those, in those moments after the Capitol was stormed by a rabble with pitchforks, flagpoles, crowbars, implements of destruction, pipe bombs. Um, and we saw the essentially the defiling and sacking the United States Capitol. All those forward-thinking members of the Republican Party who voted in favor of the big lie. And I confess, I confess my 
my, my skepticism about the possibility of convincing uh, uh, those 138 stalwart trumpeters that somehow fair districting and access to voting and the kinds of reforms that we have been talking about would ultimately be good for them, that, that they would then be, be seen as champions of democracy. They would be seen as paragons of virtue. They would be held aloft as examples of the kinds of statesmen and women that we hold so dear uh, as an ideal for American politics. Oh, oh yes. Oh, you ye of little faith. But but nor nor are you going to convince the junkie that going cold turkey is their long-term best interest, right? Because they're hepped up on gerrymandering. They've got it tapped right into their vein. And they they live within this ecosystem that helps them. So no, but I would argue again, look at what happened in 2018 when this was on the ballot, Republicans and independents are voting for independent redistricting commissions. So this could be a case where, you know, base Republicans are like, actually, this makes a lot of sense to me. And Republican representatives are like, well, wait a second, what about me? And the base is saying, actually, I don't really care that much about you, right? Like you're just, you're just a gal or a guy, like, you know, I actually care about what I care about. I care about me. All right, John, we're 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 we're, we're sidelining you in in a, in a straw man argument. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you, John, this is really this is kind of unique because Robeson and I usually there's like a Vulcan mind meld about about a lot of this stuff, but occasionally he does he, he sits down and does does some some of the Robeson thinking. And, and I, of course, never think about anything. It just comes off the top of my brain. He actually analyzes and thinks about things. But it's rare for us to disagree as vehemently as I just disagreed with Robeson. But I think it's healthy for our relationship. It's kind of it's it's good, you know, that, that we don't always just see everything eye to eye. But now let me, let me get back to a real question, which is assuming... Democrats cannot pass HR1. And we had John Sarbanes on a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, last week, we had um, some really inspiring young people who have formed an unpack pack to uh, galvanize young people in support of HR1 to really try to, and to attract conservative Republicans, conser young conservative Republicans to the cause of restoring democracy, fair, fair voting, doing something about uh, gerrymandering. But if, if Democrats can't get HR1 all the way through, do you have any way to get more fair redistricting passed state by state? Now, because as we've been discussing in 2018, it sure seemed in a lot of places like redistricting redistricting commissions on state ballots were very popular with voters, including Republicans. Now, I don't want to make Matt's point for him about the educated Republican voter. 
and not sure that that redistricting is a sexy enough issue to 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 be a decider for voters going into a, a voting booth. But what do we do state by state if we can't do something at the federal level? Yeah, I think that has been our driving principle. Certainly when the organization was started four years ago, we did not have a full vision that we were going to have a presidency and a you know, 50 plus one Senate plus uh, House. So we, we've been driving at a state-by-state state approach the entire time, multifaceted, try and make sure that we're doing everything and not leaving anything on the table. There have been a number of groups over the course of time that have put all of their eggs in one basket uh, in some capacity with regards to redistricting, like maybe the Supreme Court will fix it. Maybe we'll fix There's a lot of different ways that it could get addressed. But uh, I think we, from, from, from the onset, have taken an all of the above approach to try and make sure that we are covering all of our bases. And like I said, there's some litigation work done through affiliate organizations, uh, also our all in the line campaign through our all in the line C4 affiliate. And then we also have our uh, NDRC work. So I, I feel good about our state plans as we you know dig through each one of these, there's different nuances in every state. Um, and I gotta tell you, as, as someone that, you know, watched this, I was happened to be at the DNC in 2010. Um, but I feel very, very proud of the work we're doing and also very encouraged every day by the reality that this organization exists to be a single focus on making sure that we have fair maps uh, in this country, because it's, it's consistent that I, I, I'm faced with the reality that outside of this organization's uh, creation and operation, we wouldn't be able to do the work that we have in front of us. I feel good about that. Can I just uh, follow up and ask, uh, and uh, can you share with us um, uh, something about the organization itself, the NDRC, and how 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 big is it? How many people are working on this? Uh, where are they? Um, how are you how are you working things in the different states with a different uh, different parts of the organization? Give us a, give us a sense of of what's going into this effort. Yeah, we I, I think we've grown a great deal from two, four years ago. I won't get into org size, but I'll say that we have staff in I think well we have staff all over the country. We have direct state staff in nine states, but we also have other staff. We we have staff in operating in different states, which I imagine many organizations can say at this point, given uh, the COVID environment that we're all living in. Um, but it's a really vast effort that I. I can't even say I would have imagined four years ago. I, I think the support of, of everyday citizens for this topic has been outstanding. And I understand why, because it is a huge problem, but I also recognize it's, it can be nuanced. So I feel good about our ability to lift it up and good about the size of the team we have going into this fight. You alluded a minute ago to the multifaceted approach you're taking state by state. And one of the tools in the toolkit is legal. Now, not to turn this into um, a deep dive on legal minutiae, but from a high level, one of the things that's happened over the last four years is that the Supreme Court has declined to step in in a forceful way to disallow partisan gerrymandering. Now, to be clear, you still can't racial gerrymander. You can't explicitly do that, but 
they have they have not come in and said you cannot explicitly draw districts for partisan purposes. So with that Supreme Court backdrop, what legal means do you have at your disposal to go after some of the worst practices when it comes to redistricting? And I mean, obviously there's other things that go in the voter suppression toolkit, but redistricting being the number one focus for you. Yeah, of course. Um, so I do think, as you noted, uh, racial gerrymandering or cases uh, revolving around Section 2 clause of the Voting Rights Act. And But I would also urge you uh, to dig it. This is another state by state issue where state constitutions from time to time prohibit certain measures, uh, whether it be partisan gerrymandering. There are some states that prohibit in their own constitution partisan gerrymandering, which is a potential vehicle for something like that. I think there's a lot of different places when you get into the state by state constitution, their own processes um, as to how you would engage it. So what does the uh, future look like? Um, where, where, where do we go from here? Where does your organization go? Um, and, uh, and, and, and what, 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 what are your, what are your biggest concerns about what you see on the horizon? I, I, I the future is hopeful, Paul. I think, uh, what a Democrat way to ask that question. I mean, like it's, it's good. Hey, it's, I'm a I, warrior. I we, okay, I'm know, a warrior. I know, I don't want you worrying. I'm, a, I'm worrying. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> what can, you know, how can, how, I'm always looking at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> how, what can I whine about? Why do you think I have you know, a radio it's show? It's funny. It's funny. We, I think the future is bright. I think we have, uh, I feel very strongly that we have really good plans in place across the country and we have a, a sound processes uh, of information gathering and action in each state. So I, I would encourage anyone to again, visit us at allintheline.org and, and try and engage in the campaign. And where, if you're in your state and you wanna get a better understanding of the process, I think we have reasonable uh, documentation on the site, but also if you wanna like plug in, you know, you really wanna make sure that these voters, these politicians aren't able to draw maps in a dark room, that's gonna be the best way to do it. And frankly, I, I feel pretty good about that. And if people wanna empower themselves in addition to going to your website, getting involved with your organization, mm -hmm. uh, is there a direct action that they can take either through you or on their own um, in dealing with their state legislators to make yeah. their voice heard? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. And maybe I, I should be more clear. I do think a lot of the actions that we're proposing are state legislatively focused. Mostly in many states, the state legislators are the ones with the power to draw the pen. So it's not necessarily... Uh, talking to your member of Congress, it may be, but but m many instances, it's not talking to your member of Congress, it's going to be talking to your state legislators, making sure they understand that you're watching, that you care about fair districts, you don't want some kind of terribly crazy gerrymandered map, you want a fair uh, map for everyone to compete on. Because from our perspective, when you have a fair map, Democrats do well, right? We have, We believe our ideas are better. And there's a reason we believe that. And so we believe that when there's fairness on the board, we will we will do well this is beyond politics i'm paul hodes with my 
co-host Matt Robeson. By the way, Paul, if I could break in with just one quick ad. Thank you for the folks who are listening to this. If you're listening to it on WKXL, or maybe you're catching it on podcast for the first time, please check out the Beyond Politics feed on Apple or Google or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And please subscribe and leave us a rating. It really does. Well, look, leave us a five-star rating, please. It really does help us out. It helps us have these kinds of really important conversations about democracy. So subscribe to Beyond Politics, wherever you get your podcasts. We've been talking with John Bisignano, the executive director at the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you both so much. We'll be back next week with more Beyond Politics.